Good morning for our scripture reading this morning. We're in the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, Psalm number 139. Psalm 139, and we're going to read verses 7 through 10. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. The Bible says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing thing it is to know that you have promised us with your presence. Lord, you are an omnipresent God. You're, there's no place that, that you are not there. Thank you that you're in the midst of us this morning. Lord, it's uh, humbling to know that the God of creation wants to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us and wants us to be in, in your presence. Lord, I just pray that we would just sense your presence this morning, your, your Holy Spirit leading and guiding and moving among us. Lord, please fill preacher with your Holy Spirit and use him in a mighty way. And Lord, as we consider your presence, Lord, I just pray that we would be walking step by step with you. And if we're not this morning, if we've distanced ourselves from you, that we, that we would draw back, that you'd get a hold of our hearts and just touch our, our minds and our, the, at our very core, I just pray that you'd get a hold of us. Lord, use this message, use this service for your honor and glory, and we love you in Jesus' name, amen. The last several weeks we have been looking at a series of messages on knowing God. And the verses we started out with are in Jeremiah chapter 9. Let me read you two verses and then we'll come back to Psalm 139. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. The Lord said, Let him that glorieth glory, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. And so we've been taking some time to <clears throat> get to know the Lord, get to know God. And today we're talking about knowing his presence. There are many people... I believe, that go through life never aware of the presence of God. Amen. We've heard already said this morning that God is omnipresent. That means that he's fully present in every place at all times. If he's fully present in every place at all times, that means he's fully present here right now. Amen? God is here. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He's here today. We must never forget that when we meet together, we meet with God. And what an awesome privilege that is to meet with Him. God is present. We've already looked at knowing God's sovereignty 
Last week we looked at knowing God's holiness. And today I think it's fitting that we look at knowing God's presence. This is an attribute of God that we must never forget. It's an attribute of God that will affect our behavior. It will affect the way we live and the way we act and what we do. It's an attribute of God that will make a difference in our life if we let it. God wants to make a difference in every one of our lives. And so this morning, I want to share with you some characteristics about the presence of God. What does God, God's Word tell us? What can we know about the presence of God? First of all, I want you to notice that God's presence is pervasive. His presence is pervasive. If you look back at our text in Psalm 139, verse 7, and, and David the king says this, he says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? That's obviously what we call a rhetorical question. The answer is there's nowhere you can flee from God's presence, is there? It's interesting, in the book of Jonah, when Jonah fled from the Lord, it says he went down to Nineveh and he was running from the presence of God. Huh. You can't run from the presence of God, can you? Because everywhere you run to, he's already there. Amen. And everywhere you run from, he was there. And he still is there. You can't run from his presence. His presence is pervasive. According to American Heritage Dictionary, the word pervade means to be present throughout, to permeate. So when we say God's presence is pervasive, we are saying that God is present everywhere. Or that God is, we're saying God's presence is everywhere and God is present everywhere. God's word tells us in verse number 7 that there's nowhere that we can go to get away from the presence of God. Listen to what he says in verse 8. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And notice this last phrase, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Isn't that amazing? To God, it doesn't make any difference if it's light or dark. One of the reasons for that is, what's the whole presence of God? It's light, isn't it? God is light. So wherever he is, there's going to be light. There's not going to be any darkness. John says, in him there is no darkness at all. He's the light. He's the, he's the light of the world. And so God's presence is pervasive. Secondly, I want you to notice that God's presence is personal. His presence is personal. By that I mean that Although, although God by nature is everywhere, it's hard to imagine that God would have time and that he would have interest enough to have a personal relationship with me or with you. And yet he does. God's presence is personal. It's for every one of us. Each of us in our relationship to this universe, we are hardly a blip on the, on the radar screen, are we, compared to God. And yet God, from the beginning of time, God had a personal relationship with man. In Genesis 3.8, the Bible talks about God walking with, God, with uh, Adam in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. And although on that particular day, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and I believe that it was God's habit to spend time with them on a regular basis, 
They should have been spending time that day, but instead, the day that they sinned, what did they do? They hid from God, didn't they? After they sinned, they then were removed from the garden. They were removed from that intimate fellowship with God. Sin broke off the sense of a personal presence with God. And could I tell you it does the same thing today? Sin breaks off that personal relationship and fellowship that you and I have with God. In Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 it says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, he that he will not hear. Psalm 66 and verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So when we as God's children, those of us who have been saved and have a personal relationship with God, when we sin, the relationship is not broken. We're still saved. We're still a child of God. But the fellowship is broken between us and the Lord. Now, as we think about that personal relationship, I want you to notice several things. First of all, each one of us was born with a sin nature. We know that. We've heard that many, many times. The Bible makes it very clear. In Psalm chapter 51 and verse 5, David the king who had sinned against God. He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now some people have contorted that verse and tried to make it say that David's birth was some type of an immoral relationship. That's not what that verse is talking about at all. What he's saying is that I, when I was conceived, I was born, I was conceived and born with a sin nature. Every one of us are born as sinners. Doesn't take very long for a little baby that's born to learn how to, how to cry, and that's okay. But when they cry, when, they, when they're just trying to get their own way, then that's a little different, isn't it? And they learn, you don't have to teach your kids how to get mad and lose their temper. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Why do we learn all of that stuff? Because we have a sin nature, don't we? We're all born with a sin nature. Romans 5.12 says, As by one man, that was Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death hath passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're born with a sinful nature. Secondly, each one of us has a sinful heart. Not only are we born with a sinful nature, but we also have a sinful heart. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. Have you ever had a thought came to your mind and you kind of shook your head and said, where in the world did that come from? Now, I believe sometimes the devil puts thoughts in our mind. He can do that. I don't think he can read our mind, but he can put thoughts there. But many times thoughts come because of the deceitfulness and wickedness of our heart. And God makes it very clear that we, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then each one of us is a sinner by choice. Not only are we born a sinner and we have a wicked heart, but we're a sinner by choice. We make a choice to sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all are sinners by choice. How can we have a personal relationship with the presence of God when we by choice have sinned against this holy God? The verse we read just a moment ago in Isaiah 53, 6 says, And the Lord hath laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. The reason I can have a personal relationship with God is because God took my sin and put it on Jesus Christ and he paid for my sin and therefore my sin is forgiven and washed away when I invite him into my heart and life to be my Lord and Savior and now I can have a personal relationship with him. God placed the punishment of our sins upon his son and Jesus died to pay for them. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that's God the Father, hath made him, that's God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we by faith put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the fact that he died for us and shed his blood for us, not only are we declared righteous in the sight of God, but we also become the children of God. We become a part of his family. And a personal relationship with God is established, making his presence personal in my life. John 1.12 put it this way. It says, but as many as received him, received Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When I received Christ, in other words, when I acknowledge to God that I'm a sinner, and that I deserve to spend eternity in hell, and that Jesus paid my sin debt on the cross with his shed blood. I invite him into my heart and life to be my Lord and Savior. He takes away my sin. I become a child of God, and he establishes a personal relationship with me through his Son. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What a wonderful thing to be a child of God. You know, sometimes people say, well, everybody's a child of God. No, everybody's not a child of God. You're born into this world in one of two families. You're born into this world in one family. You're born in the world the devil's family with a sinful nature and a part of his family. When you get born again, you get into God's family. You become a child of God and on your way to heaven and have a personal relationship with him. Peter Marshall, in one of his sermons, told about a little boy who had a terminal illness. One night the boy was especially quiet, and so his mother asked him, Son, what's bothering you? And he said, Mother, he said, what is it like to die? Does it hurt? She was silent for a moment, and then she looked at him and she said, Son, do you remember how you used to play so hard all day? And when night came, you'd be so tired, you wouldn't even get undressed to get into bed. And you sometimes fell asleep on the couch in the den. And when you woke up in the morning, you'd be surprised to find yourself in your own little bed, in your own room. You were there because somebody had loved you and taken care of you. Your father had come, and with his big, strong arms, he had carried you into your own room and put you on your own bed. And the mother went on to say, now son, death is like that. We just wake up some morning and find ourselves in another room, in our own room that really belongs to us. For Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Because the Lord Jesus Christ loved us so much, he's prepared a place for us, and one day he'll come and take us from 
our place here on earth to our place there in heaven. When we die as a child of God, one who has a personal relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes us from our presence here on this earth to his presence in heaven for all of eternity. God's presence is personal. And then thirdly, God's presence is practical. It's practical. God's presence is something that is to be practiced in our life. His presence is beneficial. His presence is useful for all of us. His presence is something that we can enjoy. You don't have to fear the presence of God. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, has he? We don't have to fear God. There's a sense in we have an awesome, all, a respect of Almighty God, but we don't have to fear God. He's not a God standing there with a big club ready to pound us every time we do something wrong. He's a loving Heavenly Father. He's called a Heavenly Father, and he cares for his children. I read a story about a boy in Pakistan he was flying his kite very high. In fact, he was flying it so high that it couldn't be seen. And a man asked him as he was flying his kite, he said, how do you know? It got so high, he couldn't even see it. And he said, how do you know your kite is still up there? And the little boy said, every once in a while, I feel a little tug on my string, and I know the kite's still there. We cannot see God, but every once in a while, we feel a little tug on our heart, don't we? It lets us know he's still there. He's still there. God's presence is practical. Practicing God's presence is called abiding. It's called abiding in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. God wants us to abide in him. That's abiding in the presence of God. Abiding is also practiced when we trust God in every situation. No matter what happens in our life, no matter what the difficulty, what the problem may face, we trust the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Whatever I'm going through in life, I know I can trust the God of heaven. I can look to him. Why? Because I have the presence of God in my life, and I'm abiding in him. I can trust him. And then abiding is practiced when we worship God, when we come together and worship Him, or when we worship Him ourselves alone in private with the Lord. Psalm 138 in verse 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy hill and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and thy, and thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Again, Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We are abiding, we are practicing the presence of God when we worship God and when we spend time with him and with his people. We're also abiding when we pray. We're abiding in the Lord when we pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says to us, Pray without ceasing. We're constantly in the presence of God. We ought to spend some time every morning before we start the day, or sometime our day may start later in the day, depending on what shift you work. 
But before you start your day, spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time reading the Bible. Spend some time talking to God. But that ought not to be the only time we spend with God. We ought to practice the presence of God all day long. Aren't you glad God is present with you all day long? And you may face an emergency, and wherever you are, you can cry out to God. He's there. When things happen in your daily life, when we sit down to eat our meals, we practice the presence of God. We stop and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've provided for me. Thank you for the food. You know, there's people in the rest of the world that have nothing to eat. My mom, you know, some of you have had moms like that too. They tell you, you know, you, you eat all that food. There's people in Africa that would love to have that food, or there's people in India would love to have that food. People, and, you know, our first thought was, well, then send it to them, you know. <laughs> we didn't want to eat it. But the honest truth is there are people in other parts of the world that would love to have what we throw away, wouldn't they? Don't ever, take, don't ever eat a meal without stopping and saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, in America, we're spoiled, aren't we? We have so much. Did you know that we could probably feed the rest of the world with just what we throw away in America? And that's sad. We waste so much. Are you thankful? Did you thank him before you ate breakfast this morning? I know some of you say, Preacher, hurry up. I didn't have breakfast. I'm hungry. <laughs> well, thank him that you're going to have lunch in a little while. We practice abiding in Him when we pray. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. I'm glad we have a Heavenly Father who cares for us. In John 15 verse 7 He says, If ye abide in Me and My words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you letting God's Word abide in you? If we abide, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, is God's word abiding in you? Do you read God's word? Do you meditate upon it? Do you think about it? Have you memorized any of God's word? We're to let God's word abide in us. And that includes memorization and meditation. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. When are we going to be prosperous? When are we going to have good success? When we learn to meditate on God's word. Not let it depart out of our heart and out of our mind. And then fourthly, God's presence is peaceful. His presence is peaceful. God's Holy Spirit dwells in the heart and life of every one of us who are saved. He produces fruit in our life. And the Bible tells us that part of that fruit is peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. When we abide in the Lord and in His presence, it is peaceful. Most of us know and love the 23rd Psalm. One of the reasons why we love the 23rd Psalm so much is because it is so peaceful. In fact, oftentimes it's quoted or read at funerals or at gravesides because it is peaceful. It brings peace in our hearts and our lives. And I think one of the reasons that it brings peace is because it reminds us of the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, of the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Shepherd, God who is with us. 
His presence is with us wherever we go. Jesus promised peace in John 14 and verse 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because we have the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we get saved, we make peace with God. We don't use that phrase a lot of times now. We talk about being born again or being saved. But old timers used to use the phrase, have you made peace with God? That's what we do when we get saved. We make peace with God. But then as a child of God, we have the wonderful privilege of having the peace of God. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 that Brad preached about Wednesday night, the peace of God that passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have the peace. The presence of God is peaceful. Lisa Beamer reflects on the loss of her, of her dad in her book, Let's Roll. And she said this, she said, Slowly I began to understand that the plans God has for us doesn't just include good things, but the whole array of human events. The prospering he talks about in the book of Jeremiah is often the outcome of a bad event. I remember my mom saying that many people look for miracles, things that in their human minds fix a situation, a difficult situation. Many miracles, however, are not a change to the normal course of human events. They're found in God's ability and desire to sustain and nurture his people as we go through even the worst situations. She went on to say, somewhere along the way, I stopped demanding that God fix the problems in my life, and I started being thankful for his presence as I endured the problems of my life. The presence of God. It's peaceful. And then finally, God's presence is powerful. It's powerful. In Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following, it says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love. How rich our God is. He owns everything on this earth. Can you imagine when he talks about the riches of his glory? Not just the riches of this earth, but of all of the universes, of all of heaven, the riches of his glory. According to those riches, he wants to strengthen us in the inner man by his spirit. As a result, as we are strengthened, Christ dwells in our heart and he will be at home there. You see, it's one thing to say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe in the presence of God. But is he at home there? Does he rule there? Is he in control there? That's the power of the presence of God. There was a pastor by the name of Donnie Martin. He tells about going to the Milldale Bible Conference almost every summer in his teen years. He said, I saw many dis demonstrations of God's presence and power there. He said God's presence and power was especially evident in one of the services one night. He said a young man was asked to come and to sing. And as he sang the first note, 
the whole congregation at one began to weep. Some cried tears of joy. Others cried tears of repentance. The sense of God's presence was so great that at times you almost felt afraid to breathe for fear of disturbing what God was doing. In actuality, the atmosphere of that place that night defies description. That man said it left an indelible mark on my life. The presence of God. And then God's presence is protective. It's protective. John 10 verse 27 to 30 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus said, when we become a child of God, we are placed in his hand. And then he said, he is in the Father's hand. And then he said, I and my Father are one, and no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. When you and I trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become a child of God. We're placed in the hand of the Lord Jesus, who's in the hand of the Father, and God says, nobody can pluck us out. You say, oh, but I can pluck myself out. Well, do you qualify as a man or mankind as a man or No man can pluck them out. God gives to us eternal salvation, eternal life, everlasting life. We are protected by the presence of God. Nothing can happen to me today unless God permits it. The Lord Jesus Christ securely holds me in his almighty hand and I cannot be more protected than that. I'm in God's hand. He used to sing a song, you know it, he's got the whole world in his hands. In a sense that's true, but in a sense it's not. But if you're saved, he's got you in his hand. And you could not be more protected than that. Why? Because if you're in his hand, guess where you are? You're in his presence. The presence of God. Knowing God's presence. God's presence is pervasive. It's everywhere. He's everywhere at all times. His presence is personal. We put our faith and trust in Him. We're born into His family. We have a personal relationship. His presence is practical. His presence is peaceful. His presence is powerful. And His presence is protective. Could I ask you this morning, do you experience the presence of God in your life? That starts by knowing him personally, by trusting him as your Lord and Savior. We were born a sinner by nature. We have a sinful heart. We're a sinner by choice. But thank God he wants to forgive us of our sins and come into our heart and life and be our Lord and Savior. And then his presence will be practical. His presence will be peaceful. His presence will be powerful. And his presence will be protectful in our lives. But it all starts with asking inviting, yielding your life to him and letting him become your Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, we thank you for the presence of God. We thank you that you're here today as we sit in these pews and listen to this sermon. You're here. You know every thought we've thought while we're sitting here. You know everything we did this week. You know everything we'll do next week. 
May we live practicing the presence of God, knowing that you're always there. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never invited you into their heart and life to be their Lord and Savior, would you help them to do that today? Would you help them to say, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. May they put their faith and trust in Christ alone. And it is shed blood on the cross at Calvary. Then we who know you, would you help us to abide in you as we meditate on your word and let your word abide in us, as we worship together, as we pray, and we practice the presence of God. May May you help us to live our lives differently because we know you are there. May we experience the peace of God and the protection of God and that personal relationship, the joy that comes from knowing you. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.